I, I always think that starting out something like this, the best thing to do is just start it. Yeah, I was about to just ask you, like, what are we going to talk about today? But, but we haven't even talked about that. No. And the reason is because nobody cares. We've been so far removed that we can basically talk about anything, and we haven't talked about it recently. And only three people are going to bother listening to this thing anyway because we've been away for so long that nobody's subscribed anymore. I have my doubts about that. All right. I think we're still number one. Hi, I'm George Tekmanchev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson for another Easton podcast that our producer Jay will figure out the number of and accordingly indicate on iTunes. And it's been a while, and uh, and there's a reason for that. There's probably several reasons for that. One of them being that uh, we just, you know, stuff just got busy. There's a lot to do, and Steve's been flying a lot, and I've been flying a bit, and, you know, our schedules just haven't matched up all that great. You know, the show Friends didn't run constantly. No. It's got seasons, uh-huh. so we could call this season three or whatever. I agree. I think, in fact, you know, I might have a chat with Jay about dis- describing this as a whole new, a whole new series, yeah, like you know, Eastern Podcast two. Season Two. Yeah, because you know, as much as anything else, it feels like a season two. I guess we're obligated to talk about a few things, though. Um, for example, this past season, which is still ongoing as we uh, as we sit here in a borrowed office at ETP in Salt Lake City. Uh, there's been a ton of stuff, and it's probably hard to remember half of it, but uh, just a, a quick thumbnail catch-up. Um, and I think we'll start out with the Big Cat's season, if that's all right with Big Cat. Yeah, it's been the worst year of archery I've ever had. Uh, and yet, not a bad year. Nah, not a good year, though. I mean, it's the only year I would say I've regressed as an archer. So, you know, you could go back to the start of my career in the professional class when I first had $75 and put it down to shoot as a professional uh you know that year at least you know I didn't win anything I didn't uh make any money at least I got better this year I have won a little bit and I've won a little bit of money but I have gotten worse as an archer well I don't know about worse as an archer I mean here's the deal you've been on a grueling schedule all year long right I mean, for like four or five years straight now. Okay, and I mean, I'll just just don't take this the wrong way, but I think I've seen you in the office one out of ten days. Feels that way. I think it's like this summer. It's been about two of five. You know, forty percent of the time I'm in the office. Right, right. So, it's it difficult. It's not easy because you still have to do your job. You know, you're on the road. You got your computer, but there's only so much you can do without FaceTime with people. And you're trying to keep up the, uh, you know, the level of competition that has taken you to the podium multiple times this season, in spite of your point of view regarding your performance. <laughs> and you've got a situation where, you know, you're never in the same time zone for more than a week. So, you know, I, I'd say cut yourself a little slack here, but let's, uh, yeah. let's recap a little bit. I don't know. I just blame myself for a lack of... A lack of training to put down the foundation. It worked for a, a year, you know. I could, I had enough hay in the barn to go for a year, and this year I ran out of hay in the barn, ran out of bread in the basket. Okay. With that said, though, you're the defending field champion, world field champion, Weltmeister, Feltbogen Weltmeister. True. And it wouldn't be a bad thing for you to uh, regain or, you know, continue to uh, hold on to that title. And I know you're personally you want to do that i'm gonna go down swinging if i go down all right and this one's in cortina italy yeah and as we record this you're leaving in a couple days yeah what kind of prep have you done to get ready for that you know what i actually 
you know, right now it's kind of getting equipment ready. So, what is today? Tuesday? Mm-hmm. So, they Tuesday. No, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. Lost a day. Yeah. Um, yeah, did a little bit of shooting, a little bit of uh, tweaking on the equipment. I'm, I'm going back to just doing things by feel, you know, mm-hmm. instead of trying to take measurables and all that. If I don't like the way it feels, I'm just going to change it. You're going to use a yellow bow? Right. Probably. Uh-huh. I got a blue bow that's going to get dialed up too. So we'll see which one I like better. All right. Just a, a, as I alluded to earlier, though, let's do a little bit of recap of the season. I started out domestically with Arizona Cup, right? Yeah. How'd that go? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Shanghai, World uh, Cup. Not that great. All right. How was the weather in Shanghai? Don't remember. Okay. I have a feeling the rest of this uh, next 15 minutes is going to be very I've similar. I've washed it away from my head. Let's talk about what uh, what someone else has done. How about, well, before we do that, though, do you have any highlights of things that you actually enjoyed? The only thing I did well was our U.S. Field Nationals. I shot that really well. Darrington? Yep. Okay. Yep. Shot really well. Um, and still left, I had some really stupid mistakes. But I still had huge scores. There is nobody that steps off a field course that doesn't have a couple mistakes to regret. Nobody. I've had a couple mistakes, but these were like large, glaring errors, you know. Where like really thought it was a 60 up. and it was an 80? No, I just went to a, a target that I knew the distance on, made a good shot the first one, and shot a dead center six, and then shot a four because I'm an idiot. Oh, okay. You know, well, stuff like that. All right. That's inexcusable, and yeah. I, I agree. You should be a little bit of uh, self, you know – recrimination should you know a little bit of remonstration should be on there yeah i agree with that i hate it when i do that when i shoot an x and then i follow it up with like a four mm-hmm. i just want to put the third arrow in my own foot yeah and then you, you know. shoot the third arrow in the five and it doesn't make uh-huh. you feel any no better. does not make you feel better because because all you can do is get angry at that four mm-hmm. or at yourself or whatever i get it i understand i i sympathize a little bit all right any other highlights no. All right. You wanted to talk about other people. Yeah, someone else probably did something cool. All right. Let's um, let me think here. Cool stuff. Ah, I got to coach Natalie Dillon, uh, Tom Dillon, uh, Secretary General of World Archery's wife, at the uh, Masters Championship uh, in Switzerland last week. True. And that was fun because Natalie was a trooper. She shot great. That uh, that event looked really cool. You know what? I will tell you something. I've never had uh, experience at a tournament where everybody was getting along, actually genuinely having fun. That Masters competition was the bomb. Everybody was having a great time. I was, I was uh, actually really enthusiastic to see just how much people were into it. It was great. So Natalie took the, uh, she took the uh, gold medal in the uh, field. Silver medal in the um, in the indoor, and bronze medal in the outdoor after qualifying number one and uh, tying the European record. So she shot great. Another person who shot great is my friend Kaori Mitsuyama from Japan. She took first place in the under forty nine category in all three disciplines. She dominated. She dominated, and she's uh, she's a very well known shooter over there. She's very influential over there. She has a lot of uh, shooters that look up to her. So having her do that was awesome. I think you should have participated. I, I, I have to say that you're right. I should have participated. Next well, time. I did as a coach. And what I've discovered about coaching is coaching is easy if you have a good student, if they're good, yeah. if they're already good. Like, yeah. like Natalie is actually already good, so I, I didn't need to coach her. She already knows how to shoot. But um, I think 
that that get that did give me a little bit of insight. Um, you know, I was able to take some stuff that I've been given by my coaches and apply it, pay it forward, kind of. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. I think that's uh, but I should have shot. Often right. missed in archery is people go, oh, he's an archery coach, and they they never say. You know, it's just like Phil Jackson isn't going to teach you how to bounce the ball. Phil Jackson, legendary basketball coach, he's not going to be the one to teach you how to bounce the ball or shoot the ball. He's the one who's going to teach you the X's and O's how to play the game once you are very good at everything else. Yeah, or in the case of, uh, of you know, a, a top-level shooter, get him focused maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and let him yeah. do what it is that they already know yeah, how to do. mental prep as much as anything. Yeah, so, and that's really what my I, role yeah. has been as much as anything else. But, you know, I, I agree with you. I should have shot. Yeah. And the only reason I didn't is because I'm not quite in physical condition that getting hit by a car thing a couple of years ago is still a little bit of an impediment to my being able to stand in one place and shoot after a 20-hour flight. So um, I'm getting better, though, so that's that's kind of positive. What kind of car was it that got you? A Subaru? It was a Subaru Outback huh. driven by a woman from out of state. <sighs> Dang her. Uh-huh. So I, I have a... I have a a negative feeling about Subaru Outbacks ever since. What happened to your bike? It was totaled. Dang. Yeah. Oh, you got a new bike out of the deal, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I did. I got a new bike out of the deal and a permanent limp. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that makes up for it. And when we say bike, we're not talking 10 speed. No, no. We are talking about a, uh, a Honda VFR. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Anyhow, so yeah, Lausanne cool place to be this awesome. time of year what awesome. was the temps like so they had just come off a week or two of record temperatures you know high 80s that would be Ooh. you know high 30s right yeah. which for if you're from switzerland man i'll bet you that's roasting yeah so um and, and you know all joking aside there were some serious repercussions i mean there was um landslides and, and mudslides and stuff in parts of switzerland because of this everything got too dry well there was a lot of rain, rain. Yeah, yeah and and they also, I think, you know, the glaciers are freaking, you know, disappearing, right? So it's a, hmm. it's a bad deal all around. But with that said, um, you know, by the time the Masters started, the weather was about as good as you could have. It didn't rain. Um, the weather was, was nice the whole time, in my opinion. And it had been like, uh, I don't know, we haven't dipped below 90 until like two days ago. Yeah, it was quite shocking to walk out of the office the other day at, six o'clock in the evening and not have it be three digits yeah, on the thermometer it's been so hot here just terrible yeah and and now for the last three four days it's been quite tolerable mm-hmm. yeah, uh we're talking hard, yeah. 19 20 degrees centigrade 22 at the most and then at night dropping to 12 16 mm-hmm. they had snow uh just to the north of here in uh, wyoming and mm-hmm. in idaho eight inches of snow Man. Yeah, yeah, like 12, 14 centimeters of snow. So, uh, you know, that's a little early, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think, for in the opinion of anybody that lives up there, that was probably a little early. Back on the subject of archery, though. Uh, you wanted to talk about some uh, some people this season. I'll, I'll, I'll start out, if you yeah. want. Yeah, what's your most memorable performance? Well, I, I will tell you this. Um, this season's not been the best season for the Korean women. No, what happened to, I mean, I haven't followed the Asian Cup too much, or the Asian Games, right? Right, right. Yeah. Asian Games have been have, have been going on right up to, uh, today's the 29th? Yeah, right up to the, today. Uh, Taipei beat Korea yeah. then. Yeah, shock, right? Yeah, in the team round. And um, Kim Woo-jin uh, did win just now. He beat uh, Lee Woo-seok. 
So yeah, uh, five sets it went. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's the first guy to win the Asian Games twice back to back, or twice I should say, uh, which is uh, back in 2010 he won, and now he's won again, Kim Woo Jin. And of course, Kim has been just tremendous for the last you know decade. Yeah. But um, you know his. Uh, his uh, teammates on the women's side of the field did not have as much success as as maybe they would have hoped. Um, and I, th- I put that down partly to the coaching decisions that have been made. Coaches have been, you know, in the Asian games, they're free to move shooters around. They don't have to, you know, they don't have to use the number one seat if they don't want to. And they, they yeah. were moving people around and doing some things that uh, didn't pay off, I would say. I saw that... The Korean team, I, I guess they get two archers that get to advance to the individuals out of their four. Correct. And that way, Korea doesn't get to dominate the whole thing. Well, and they had already pre-selected who those two would be. And then they pre-selected the three team round shooters. So they had the fourth guy there, I guess, just in case someone got injured. Correct. But how would you like to be the fourth guy? That's not a lot of motivation to show up there. Or you're going to show up and stomp them and say, hey, maybe we should think about changing how we do this process, huh? Because you got you got to roll with your hot hand at a tournament. If a guy's not shooting well, don't expect it to change, you know, overnight. That might be a – you might just be in a little slump. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'd say you you, uh, you roll with your top three qualifiers at a tournament unless they're all three shooting – or all four guys shoot really well, then maybe you do select however you want to select. I don't know. That's up to them ultimately, but – I think I would allow some flexibility in the situation. Some other interesting stuff out of these Asian games was uh, the mixed team performance situation. Uh, the winner of the mixed team competition, of course, uh, qualifies two places for Tokyo 2020. So a lot of these countries had a lot of pressure, right? Now, Japan doesn't have to qualify as long as they contest the world championship, which if they have to walk to get there, they'll, they'll contest. So, right. so Japan is, is virtually yeah. in. But it was Japan and North Korea... See, I can say North Korea here. I can't say North Korea if I'm on a world archery microphone. Right. You know what I have to say? Uh, the Democratic DPR- People's Republic yeah, of Korea. DPRK. Uh, I yeah. can't say DPRK. Democratic well, People's Republic of North Korea. Of, of oh, Korea, Korea, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. North Korea would get you, you know, ejected from the stadium saying right. that. So any future uh, world archery announcers, remember, don't say North Korea. <laughs> um, but Japan, of, uh, Japan, you know, won this uh this thing but but look what happened going there i mean that's what's kind of interesting to me you had mongolia taking out korea south korea right korea non-nuclear korea (laughs) korea that's not run by a despot (laughs) and uh mongolia i mean is a solid team at times i mean they've got some they've got some talent you know they've had talent for many years they just don't get to as many events, I guess. So they beat them in what? In the team mixed team? Uh, in the semi, yeah, in the mixed team semis. In the semifinals so in the mixed team. Korea so has Korea's to go done. through. Yeah, they have to they have to qualify for mixed team through world championships. Correct. Which next year? Odds are they will, yeah. or they can just qualify a team, and that'll that'll be good enough, you know. Right. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, yeah, they're they're fine. They're going to be fine, but. How big of a story would that be? It though? would be a big story if Korea failed to qualify for the Olympic It'd Games. Be, it's not going to happen. That's yeah. not the issue. But, uh, you know, the Asian Games are a big milestone for Tokyo 2020 in a lot of ways. And um, certainly for Japan, uh, which was the team of our friend Takaharu Furukawa and Sugimoto Tomomi, um, that 
you know, that's a solid uh, performance there. And I think, and, and by the way, Tomomi and, uh, and uh, Takaharu are the top-ranked shooters in Japan right now. Um, I would say that that uh, bodes really well for their performance uh, at, in the first mixed-team competition that will take place in the Olympic Games, which is going to be Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's exactly what they've been working towards. So right now things are going according to plan. Right. Um, you know, and I think they probably had a little less pressure because, yeah, yeah they're not, you know, they they're know they're going to be not in Japan. They know they're going to be at the games. Either where, way. where were these held? I forget. Jakarta, Indonesia. Indonesia, that's right. Where you can take a knife out of your pocket, cut some air out, stick it in your pocket, and bring it home as a souvenir. Tough, tough uh, conditions there. It especially like this time of the, year. the uh, Athletes Village was really cool, though. Oh, I'm sure it was. They had some stuff going on there, and, uh, like a little center court where they had, you know, concerts. These Asian games are the, the, the I mean, they are a full-on Olympic-level event from yeah, the standpoint of, yes, a big very deal big deal. And speaking of a big deal, um, you're looking at a big deal in terms of compound being a part of this thing, as you know, and Korea has really risen to the occasion. Um, they set a new world record for qualification in the uh, in the week. Korea shooting against Chinese Taipei in the mixed team gold medal final, and um, I I gotta give it to them. I, I've had some discussions with you about this before. I've said Korea is gonna be a force to be reckoned with in compound. I don't think I've been wrong. No, they're pretty good. They beat us once this year. Yeah, um, we beat them once. But the point is, they're right up there with any other country. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the past, not that you'd fear anybody, but who would you have a lot of respect for if you had to go up against them in a match? In a team match? Yeah, Denmark comes to mind. No. Uh, Italy, Denmark maybe. Denmark rarely puts three together. Two and two yeah, good two ones and, and one, one maybe. Who? Yeah, who knows? Well, uh, give me some examples of countries that you would, you know, you go, oh, well, we've got... I know that's not your personal style, but, yeah. but who? I, I don't remember shooting against a particular country thinking these guys are all shooting really good right now uh-huh. or you know very they these guys are all capable of shooting really good at any moment sometimes you get three that shoot well like in berlin croatia beat us they all three shot awesome you know we didn't shoot that great but at the moment they all three shot well i don't think if we did that again they would shoot the same score again. okay on any given sunday yeah but korea is always gonna kind of their guys always seem to put up a pretty good effort so all right. Well, and you know, they all come from uh, the recurve ranks, those those Korean compound guys and, mm-hmm. and ladies. Um, just just looking back at what happened here, just uh, jumping into the back to the uh, field of play on the uh, Asian Games, you've got uh, Chinese Taipei beating Korea in the men's team match. The recurve men's yeah, team Taipei's match. Taipei's got there again, those three guys. Wait, I can say Taiwan here. You could, yeah. I can say Taiwan. You get some people at World Archery upset with you, maybe, though. Yeah, but they don't listen to the podcast. Well, no, they do. I've heard. Oh. Yeah. Okay, the uh, Chinese Taipei. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they can shoot pretty well on occasion, the yeah. three of them. Yeah. They've got, a, they've got the... But you don't think of the men of Chinese Taipei as being as dominant as the women can be. Uh, on the compound side, I think the men are better. Yeah. But on the recurve know, seat, this is, you know. Yeah, their recurve team, the women team, women's team is very good. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking recurve now? I am. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They've been coming on strong. They had the Agreed. the young kid who was second at Worlds. Yes. Probably should have won in the shoot-off last was year. Was that Tang? Tang? I think it was Tang. I don't know. But he, you know, he shot, oh, I, I want to say he shot a a seven to M. Dong-hyun's eight. Yeah. In the shoot-off. Yeah. It was windy, but. 
You would have thought, man, he's, well, gonna, he's got this one. I, I think you know Chinese Taipei, definitely a force to be reckoned with. You're looking at Korea second, People's Republic of China third. And then for the recurve women, Korea with a little bit of redemption there. And this is a powerful team from Korea. You've got uh, Ms. Chang, the Olympic champion, and um, you know Ms. Kang and Ms. Lee. World record holder. World record holder, that's right. Yeah, Kang and, is Kang the Destroyer. Kang yeah. the Destroyer. I have no idea where they got that. Uh, was that a, is that a Conan Barbarian thing? What is Maybe, that? Maybe, but she's good. Yeah, absolutely. She's great. And then uh, Chinese Taipei was second. Yeah. And then you got uh, Japan was third, and um, I expected Japan to medal at this thing, so that was no surprise. And that was Aino uh, Kato, who is uh, one of the top shooters from Kindai University, and um, Kaori Kawanaka, who we've seen at the Olympic Games, and uh, the up-and-coming Tomomi Sugimoto. You and know what's interesting? Yeah. That China isn't uh, better than they are. China I, on occasion. You consider the you know, depth they've got? Yeah. Oh, my yeah, and, and where agree. are they at on the compound scene? I'd, I'd, I'd like to see them enter the compound scene. So it's interesting with the compounds in China. What I've seen is a lot of um, prefectural teams showing up for the Asian Grand Prix events. So you've got a team from Hong Kong, China. You've got a team from Shanghai proper, which is the most powerful team in the mainland. You've got teams coming from Beijing and some other, um, and forgive me, my Chinese geography isn't what it should be, but there's some three or four other provinces in China that send teams to events, uh, compound teams. They don't get national team support. They're not even wearing national team uniforms when they go to these events. And they're shooting all manner of crazy equipment. Yeah. Uh, knockoffs of Hoyt bows. Yeah. Knockoffs of our arrows. And, you know, by about the third day at a Grand Prix, they'll go to the D-cut booth or they'll go to whoever's <laughs> selling stuff and buy real Easton arrows. <laughs> because, yeah, you know, stuff doesn't last. No. Yeah, well, when they're ready, when China's ready, I mean, I'm just going to float this out there in case anyone's listening. I am available. I'm ready to maybe transition. Now, you know you know that Japan wanted you and some other countries wanted you as a coach. Yeah. For for compound. I'm talking like I will move there full time. To China. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, any representatives of uh, uh, Gobei or anybody listening? Uh, Steve Anderson has uh, just made his intentions yeah, known. I'm available. For the right price, I presume. Always. All right. Uh, can I be your agent? <laughs> Checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Recurve mixed team, as we mentioned, was uh, Japan, uh, followed by the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and People's Republic of China. And then for the compound mixed team, Chinese Taipei beat Korea. Hmm. Chinese Taipei beat Korea. And uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran was third. Iran? Iran is a good they can be set of good. compound shooters there. Yeah. I mean, you know. Their guys all punch it. Uh-huh. But when they're punching it together And they really got the well, wrist strap and everything. Yeah. They, it's, uh, when they, they, when they got the punch on, good hey, luck. Hey, if the wind comes up, look yeah. out for Iran because yeah. they're going to be tough. I think we lost to them once in China one year or something. Compound men. Um, team Korea. Yeah taking the gold over India, which um, someone we know was just coaching India. Sergio was. It? was. It was Sergio, Sergio Pagni. Pagni, yeah. Yeah, so they, they went all the way to the to the gold medal match. But they've have, I, they don't shoot individuals in this, do they, for compound? No, they don't. Weird. That's right. It's only teams. <laughs> Why? You're there. I know. Uh, I, I, schedule, I guess. Uh, I don't know. It's like the Pan Am Games next year. They're going to have eight compounders. Don't even do it if well, you have eight. It, it's better to be in... Than not to be in, 
you got to get your foot in the door. Eventually, they develop a, a, a round that people actually want to watch, which isn't the current round. And <laughs> you find yourself in a position. Yeah, I said it. I mean, I'm in a position to <laughs> say what I think yeah. on this subject because I've, you know, I don't represent anybody but myself on this. And I don't think that the 50 meter round is the is the crowd excitement round. It's just not. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's in the past. It's been my job to try to make it interesting, and it, it's hard job. Not easy. I'm sure, yeah, somebody's got a two point lead, and there's an arrow to go. I expect so. somebody in the future will figure out a good way to make it interesting, but I don't know how. Could start by shooting at 60 meters. Uh, we've talked about this before. Absolutely, 60 Anyhow. on an 80. I like that idea. Anyway. Back to uh, where we're at with this stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, look at the names that uh, that India's. I mean, they got Abhishek Virma on this team, right? Yeah. So premium shooter, premium quality shooter. Uh, none of the Koreans are slouches. You got Kim Jong Ho and um, Choi Young Hee. Both of these guys passed recurve top guys, and uh, now they're shooting compounds very effectively. And then Malaysia took uh, took the bronze. You've got the compound women's teams: uh, Korea, India, and Chinese Taipei in that order. So Choi Bo-min, who's been shooting great with a compound for the last few years after shooting a recurve, um, and So Chae-won and Song Yun-su taking the gold medal over India. And uh, then you've got uh, Chinese Taipei for the bronze there. So we shift gears for a second here. Um, we've got a guest in, in-house. We have uh, Tommy Floyd from NAS. So Tommy uh, is in town. He wanted to address our factory workers. He came to town to literally thank our factory workers for making the Genesis Arrow that's used by all the NASP kids. NASP, National National Archery in the Schools Schools program, program. right? Yeah, quite the trip. So NASP um, has a lot of participants, apparently. I I guess a lot of schools, particularly in the South, but also through other parts of the country, um, have these uh, programs where the kids shoot Genesis bows. They're shooting 10 and 15 yards um, at... you know, uh, pretty much bare bow fingers. Is that yeah. how that goes? Yeah, it's just like a, yeah. So um, they, they learn a way to aim, more or less, using the arrow, I guess. And um, and they compete. And they have um, a, a program called Academic Archer, where you have to have certain grade level. I think we're a big uh, We're a big sponsor of, of that, right? Archer. Yeah. We appreciate school. So, yeah, being educated is a good thing. And, um, you know, having a combination of archers and education is a good thing. And one of the good things that came out of that, of course, is now there's a path, potentially, to getting into some universities in the U.S. that have archery programs for NASP shooters. Um, that's, a, that's a new development. If you want to know more about that, you can go to the USA Archery website, uh, usaarchery.org. And... Um, Anyway, I, I, let's take a couple minutes for you to have a conversation with Tommy Floyd. Okay, as we mentioned earlier in the show, we do have Tommy Floyd, VP of NASP, National Archery in the Schools Program. He's joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about NASP. And, Tommy, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes on this. We, uh, we do one take, one take only. I don't know if you uh, watch Barstool Sports, probably not, but they do the Barstool Pizza Review, one bite, one bite only. So we try to stick to that. Uh, that said, we uh, we just sat down. You gave some of us in the company a presentation on NASP, and it, it kind of opened my eyes a lot and changed some of the preconceived notions that I had received on NASP. Um, 
and obviously in this podcast, probably not going to be able to run through everything we did, but I think there's some interesting stuff. Maybe we could touch on some of those points. So I, I took a few notes and some of the things I thought were interesting. You've had 20 million kids go through NASP. It's almost roughly the same size as little league or the boy Scouts. Uh, one in five fam- have had that participated in NASP have had a family member shoot archery because of their NASP participation. Uh, another one I thought was really cool, 40%, about 40% have purchased a non-NASP bow since starting NASP, and 35% of those surveyed want to purchase a bow. Um, so give us, you gave me a little story on how you got into NASP. You come from an educational background. Why don't you give us a quick rundown? It's really great to be here, and I'll do just that. Uh, first of all, um, I would say that NASP appeals to just about everyone. Uh, as an educator, while I was a bow hunter, what appealed to me quite early in my NASP experience was what I saw it doing for kids that I didn't think engaged even with me, someone they were familiar with. They wouldn't look me in the eye. They would look at my feet when they talked to me. Those same kids that once they found success in archery began to blossom as people. Now, I can take it miles beyond that now after dealing with it for all these years. I would say that the confidence gained through experiences and in, in, in success not just in score, but in the fact that I've learned to master a skill, the skill of shooting a bow, uh, makes me better able to maybe tackle something tougher in my life afterwards. So what, what maybe I didn't clarify when I started this was, for we have a lot of international listeners. Some of them probably don't have anything like, like NASP in their country. So NASP is, as I mentioned, Nar- National Archery in the School Program. So these kids are actually shooting in their PE classes. They're actually shooting bows in school during school hours. So just to go over that again, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of the, the format they, they shoot in within NASP? NASP currently operates in 47 states. We're in grades 4 through 12. It is an in-school requirement to be a NASP school. Schools must commit to at least offer 10 hours minimum instruction. Oftentimes it exceeds that, but in order to call themselves a NASP school, they do 10 hours during the day. A lot, of these, a lot of these schools then follow up with after-school events, after-school teams, additional coaches, additional opportunities. Many of these schools begin to travel and do tournaments as teams. Our, our big deal in NASP is that you shoot for your school and you shoot on a team. Right now in, in America, somewhere around 14,000 schools are participating in NASP and over 2 million students a year participate in NASP. It is continuing to grow at a rate of around a thousand schools per year and I truly believe that our in-school requirement is one of the reasons it has continued to grow because it appeals to the masses. Tell us a little bit about the effect that NASP has had on them. You you told us some of this in our presentation Mm -hmm. in terms of what it's done for them scholarship wise, Mm -hmm. opportunities is presented to them that have been presented to them through NASP. We have uh, surveyed our participants, so we actually surveyed our two-plus million students and had a 1%, just a little over a 1% confidence interval. Um, 40% of our kids tell us that uh, NASP is a motivational factor for them to do well in the classroom. That's very powerful, even for the indifferent person that doesn't care a lick about archery. Here's a tool that a a principal or a teacher has to engage kids. Uh, 58% said it connected them with their school. So if I'm connected and I'm motivated in the classroom, I have a much greater chance of being successful in school. So much that this past year, uh, the Easton-sponsored academic archer 
reached 25,266 NAS participants who were recognized for their success in the classroom. Right. Uh, so something that I had going through my mind, you know, I didn't have NASP at my school. I don't think many, I grew up in Idaho. I don't think many had it. There was a few, um, would I have participated in NASP? Yeah. During PE, I would have probably not on an extracurricular level just because I was busy enough with other sports. And, and in my head, I think every kid should, should take the opportunity they have to do high school sports, you know, whether that's, uh, football, basketball, track and field, whatever. If you can go and you can make a, a team, a varsity team, there's no replacing those memories. You know, you should absolutely try to do it. But there are, out of the, you know, 2,000 kids at my school, there was 12 of us that played basketball. You know, the rest of them uh, weren't fortunate to have made that team, you know, and they, they need – Right. There's opportunities for them too, so – of course, I, you know, I spent so many years in a public high school and then as a superintendent I had 19 schools – one of our one of our major tasks was to t to find a way to engage kids because not everybody could play basketball, mm -hmm. not everybody could be in the band or cheerlead yeah. or have a club that they were interested in. Archery simply appeals to kids who continue to demonstrate that they say to us, "This was the first time I felt like there was something for me at my school." And that I don't care how you want to throw anything you want to mm -hmm. throw at that is extremely powerful. You give me two kids, and one of them's engaged and wanting to be there. Yeah, I'll take the engaged one because we'll come out with a better outcome. Especially at that age, right? I and mean, that's a critical thing. And then the other thing I saw a lot of, and we see a lot of this in virtually every type of archery, but there were opportunities for the physically disabled too within that. Exactly. Aspect, so, on the video that we just released, uh, you'll see several instances where students are wheelchair bound or have mm -hmm. uh, don't have the use of all their limbs. Uh, a very powerful young lady in Kentucky was demonstrated and actually made the Associated Press. Uh, with her interview about what archery had done for her because she shoots with her mouth and her left hand. It's very powerful. So next, um, get into some of these. We had one listener question I thought was not answered by what we've talked okay. about now. Okay. I, I think we have answered some of it, but um, this is a, a bit of, of what I hear a lot at at my level of shooting and where I'm, or at least in my venue of shooting, I should say, Um and we'll, I'll let you give your answers, and I'll kind of give my opinion uh, because my, my thoughts change on this, I think, pretty drastically today. So the question is, what is NAS doing to get these kids to the collegiate level so that they can take their archery to college, and how can the schools help keep kids in archery even after they graduate high school? So USA Archery and NASP have recently part partnered, and we've put it on both of each other's websites under our news section, a place where parents and students who are thinking about a college somewhere they can go to that site click on the link and find out in their state or jurisdiction uh, what post-secondary institutional archery opportunities may exist but to any parent out there who has a child that's interested in archery in high school that's hopefully leaning in the direction of some type of post-secondary something because we all can't say that we don't know what happens without those skills being imparted Ask those questions of those guidance counselors at those colleges and two- and four-year institutions and all those secondary schools. Do you all have archery? Is there an opportunity for me to participate on behalf of this institution, even at the club level? What do you have? And that's an important question. And to add to that, you know, my thoughts on it were this is if, if the other organizations are letting these tournaments happen and they're not there actively participating in uh, the continuation of these student archers 
it's a wasted opportunity for them. I mean, you guys have done so much to get a bow in their hands and get them in one location to shoot that bow. I mean, 14,000 kids, one event. Correct. You know, that's uh, – we don't have 14,000 members in uh, in some of our organizations that are major organizations. So, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion, it's on them, you know, to be – or maybe there's some other intermediary that should be involved. But you've got them all rounded up and you've got them all into the sport – uh, the next step's got to be taken by those who are looking to uh, foster their membership with these people. We have 47 state tournaments ahead of us next year. The door is open for organizations who do archery beyond the 12th grade or even that they can do while they're still in high school and apart. Because mm-hmm. we're, we're not the group that says they can only shoot uh, a bullseye nice. or a 3D yeah. with a Genesis bow. But, you know, if that's what I have, that's what I want to get my toe in the water. But I promise – if you'll let me play in the game, I'll find a way to do the other. Right. But if I never get my foot in the door and I never get to play in the game, may not. I think my career in archery may be over. And what a terrible lost opportunity as you as you describe it. Exactly. So it uh, was very enlightening. It's good to hear all this stuff. And uh, you know, I think anyone who's got any questions about NASP, where where should we direct them to? Our website is naspschools.org. So naspschools.org. naspschools.org. My email, tommy.floyd at naspschools.org. <laughs> oh, that's Be glad not, to help. That's not something I treat lightly. If my email got on the, the air, well, I'd Well, it's be... on there 27,000 <laughs> yeah, times, so I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, well, Tommy, uh, good having you here in the office today. Good chatting with you. and. Well, well, it's, sure. a pr- it's a presence to be with someone who has had such a successful archery career. You did not want me to say that, but that is the truth. So we're grateful to be here I, in Easton today. I got lucky a few times, but thank you. I appreciate that, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Hope so. Thank you. Well, there's no question that man is passionate about uh, archery in the schools. Yeah, there's like what, what like 14,000 at the one tournament. Yeah, I just hope uh, – it's my hope as someone who – didn't ever do archery in school, but picked it up later in life. That that uh, at least a good fraction of these kids will will move into, you know, a, a USA archery or NFA or some type of, sure. of archery like. Uh, like and you know, I've I've been I critical. Do. I've been a little critical of NASP, uh, you know, in the past for not doing enough to to uh, give these kids a path to mainstream archery after NASP. And you know what I've come to realize is that's not, that's not their job. That's our job. It's kind of yeah. Someone, it's someone's job. If I was, if I was a target archery organization, I would be at every one of their tournaments, in every kid's face, trying to get him to come out to whatever I do after he's done with high school. Yep. And I would, uh, you know, and again, I'm, I'm going to turn that question around. I mean, here's a question on our Facebook from Garrett, um, who's saying, "What's NASP doing to get these kids to the collegiate level so they can take their archery to college? How can schools help kids keep kids in archery even after they graduate high school? I, that's not their job." Yeah, we went over that. You know, Tommy and I yeah. talked about that a little bit, but yeah, I think we're we're all in agreement that it'd be best if uh, you know all these like three billion kids that shoot NASP would continue on and, and shoot target archery uh, in other formats. But, yep, uh, we we need to help. What we need to do is help organizations like the NAA find ways to yeah. bring those kids, in, and we're doing that. Actually. Ultimately, by getting them to at least pick up a bow and shoot an arrow, they've done more than anybody else has. That's a fact. So, so I'm going to give credit where it's due. In spite of the fact that I may have possibly been accused of having referred to Naspa's kickball with an arrow in the past. I I heard you accused of saying that, and I also heard you saying that. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I would never say something no. like that. 
All right. Alex uh, has a question for you, Steve, if you're up for that. Um, he shoots a compound at 45 pounds, and he's got a 29-inch draw. He's planning to buy some arrows for Vegas. He's thinking about setting up a 2312 or Superdrive 23s in a 475 spine. Oh, what was the specs again? He's saying 45-pound compound, 29-inch draw. He doesn't say what kind of compound. Hmm. Not a lot of info to go on, but I, I would say that uh, really it comes down to this. What are the reasons to shoot a 2312? What are the reasons to shoot a Superdrive 23? Mm-hmm. So... You can get both of them to hit the middle. Absolutely, every time. I would, uh, I would actually even consider twenty three fourteen. Sure, a little more durability, for example, and it'll still spine just fine. The real question is, um, what's your budget? Yeah, you, you can, can buy two dozen of those twenty threes for the price of a dozen Superdrive twenty threes. Yeah. I get like a good two seasons out of a dozen. Easy. Yeah, that's not a problem. Yeah, so, that's that's not even what yeah. I'm referring to. What yeah. I am referring to though is. Alex, do you want to go outside with your super drives later and shoot some 3D targets? That's the that's the one option. Because if you do, then the super drive is your answer, right. right? But if you want to just shoot Vegas, stick with aluminums. Mm-hmm. Save the money and uh, spend it at the slot machines <laughs> or something. Sounds like uh, he may not be old enough to, I don't know, guessing off. I don't want to actually, I'm not going there. Never mind. No, I mean, he could he could be an older guy or he might just be that's true. somebody who doesn't shoot a lot or whatever, but... Uh, you know, I'm not going to judge somebody for shooting what they can handle weight-wise. That's that's awesome that they're doing that. I think that's great. You know what we should have talked about? Go ahead. The uh, from Laurence Baldoff. I was going to bring that up. The arrow catch uh-huh. shot. Yeah. She uh, she's actually one of my shooters. I like her. She speaks like a hundred languages. Yeah, very well too. Yeah. So I uh, she anyhow. She's part of our team, and I think she's uh, a great asset to our team. And then she, she told me, hey, I'm doing a commercial with uh, – do you remember which card? Yeah, it was? it's uh, Skoda, I believe, which is a Czech. Yeah, and I maker. thought she was going to be, like, standing there. And uh-uh. she asked me if I could paint the arrows green. I said, I don't have that capability. Um, I, so I thought she would be in front of a green screen with some arrows. Maybe they'd make them look like, I don't know, a lightning bolt uh-huh. or something. Yeah, sure. Turns out it was uh, – a whole lot different than what I had anticipated, right? Now, I want to make it absolutely clear. Yes. Easton does not condone or encourage the use of X-10 arrows in terms of what was done here. That was almost word for word what you wrote on the Facebook. It's because I'm reading it off that. (laughs) But with that said, though, it is indeed rather cool. I mean, this was one of the cooler things, and, and, and darn it if that wasn't dangerous looking, but very cool. So, so here's what they did. It doesn't actually seem dangerous. Well, it depends on, you know, I mean, there's a number of other variables that we're not thinking about here, like cars, tires do blow out, you know, yeah, stuff he's happens. Hanging out the, uh, he's hanging out the sunroof sun at 150 miles an hour. But anyway, um, Laurence um, had to shoot the arrow on command without the clicker, therefore, as the car passed her at a speed equivalent to what the arrow was going to do about 60 meters downrange. So call it about so 130 miles an hour or whatever. Yeah, so it's so that car was doing a sustained speed. The arrow would have been slowing down the whole way, faster, and then slowing down. No, no, it always slows down. Well, but it would have been initially faster. Yes, faster than the car. That's right. So he sees it launch and get out ahead of him, and then he catches up to it and grabs it. Right now, that gave him about a third of a second to acquire and catch the arrow. So if you ask me, the catcher was just as talented as Laurence. But with that said. Uh, you've got a, a spectacular piece of video there. All I can tell you, if you want to see this thing, is it's called Catch the Arrow on YouTube. 
Do they have a GoPro on the guy's head? No. They should have. They didn't. Missed Look, opportunity. There's absolutely. You see, there's there's a picture That's of the, the guy. That's the view I wanted to see. And the guy's a, a, another shooter, by the way. Um, but, yeah, uh, that would have been a cool scene now Lawrence points out and, and again it's catch the arrow you can find it on youtube go look at it and then come back to the podcast okay nice to have you back um Lawrence says she didn't break very many arrows nearly she says nearly all the x10s that were used were intact meaning some of them landed on the concrete mm-hmm. and were given to the crew after completion of the world record uh, guinness was there to supervise this and that's you know, a ten thousand dollar bill guinness will give you a world record for just about anything that's yeah unique. if you make it up it's yours but and if they show up so to get Guinness there, it's ten k. I didn't know that. So you yeah. got to pay the so the car company paid them, of course. Yeah, because it's extra extra um, credibility for the and mm-hmm. and a lot more publicity. I would think. Yeah, because Guinness is gonna absolutely pump it out there and absolutely and, and and you know what? This is great because you got a great shooter shooting, you know, looking good and shooting an arrow, and, and it's going to get people interested in archery to some degree. Yeah, uh, Laurence had the arrows painted by a car painter. Um, she said it didn't affect the flight of the arrow too much. There was uh, two layers of paint, so she lost 30 centimeters in height at 70 meters, so that's uh, a foot. about a foot. So it added maybe 20 grains, I guess, something like that, 25 grains. The stiffness was also a little bit affected, she said, but um, which makes sense if you think about it because your heavier arrow is going to act slightly weaker. She said it still grouped great. All she had to do was cut that thing loose as, it, uh, you know, as the car passed by. It so was, uh, her write-up was great. Had a lot of info on uh-huh, it. So. Sure did. So, uh, just an awesome job. And um, I would expect that. Uh, who knows? It might inspire some more stuff like this. By the way, uh, just to be fair, Hyundai did this uh, a few years ago. Really? Yeah. Same same exact deal. Except I don't think they caught the arrow. I think they raced it. Mm. Not quite as legit. No. Nah. Next, it'll be who can catch the arrow in their teeth. Don't even go there. <laughs> Karen Griffin and uh, and 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 the rest of our legal team just had a uh, just had a conniption over yeah, that comment. So that's all right. You I take mean, that back. <laughs> I sent out an email the other day about if it would be possible to do something uh, that needs not to be named. It was a storage thing. We were going to store something for somebody on one of our locations. Oh, yeah. And it turned into nine people involved, well, including legal. I was like, never mind. We're not doing it. They got to they gotta justify their existence. It was unbelievable. And when you need them, you need them. It was unbelievable. Though. Well, and they're good at what they do. So Nine people. I'm not going to criticize our legal department because you need them once in a while, uh, especially when you're, you know, like over a border and you don't have your passport or things like that can happen but mm. anyways but i do want to make it absolutely clear that easton does not condone or encourage the use of the x10 or any other arrow in this matter yep but it's darn cool <laughs> congratulations to uh to Lawrence baldoff and uh the team of people that that made that uh, that ad that was great well do we have anything else to talk about yeah i think we do but uh you know i i'm thinking at this point after this much time off the air and then coming back we, more we're or just less breaking off barnacles here. More or less unannounced. Yeah. We're going to have a lot more to talk about in the next show, whenever that is. September twenty fifth ish. Uh huh. <laughs> Sounds like because I will have come back from uh, a couple weeks in Japan. You'll have come back from a couple weeks in Cortina. Shoot, yeah. 
I'll, I'll actually I won't see you until after World Cup final. Probably. Yeah, I'm going to that with yeah. Linda. You're gonna maybe, coach? Maybe I'll be here one day. Maybe we'll hit a quick World Cup final preview. Yeah, if we can do that, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, one more thing. Dave Oates wants to know about tarpon fishing. Oh yeah, it was great. End of show. Uh, yeah. Bye. <laughs>